vacating his seat in the Texas House District 109, south of Dallas. Democrat Aisha Davis has already announced she plans to run to succeed Sherman in the state house. Ted Cruz will be looking to win his third term in the U.S. Senate next year. Democrats have not won a statewide office in Texas since 1994. Support this local newscast and this station now by becoming a member at kpft.org. And thanks for tuning in to 90.1 KPFT Houston. This is Dave Alvin, and right this second you're listening to KPFT Houston, Texas. Welcome to Growing Up in America, Claire Dutre, along with Bob Sanborn. Welcome. Claire, how are you doing? I am well. I feel like there must be mercury somewhere in retrograde, because I'm, I'm kind of in a haze this morning, but in a haze. I'm well. I know, I know. I think it's just the midweek, the midweek slump. Well, good. this is the show that's going to pull you out of your little slump. <laughs> that is, music started it. This is the say. show that will pull you out of the haze, <laughs> yeah. you know, here on Growing Up in America. Uh, we have a good show today, right? We do, so, we do. Um, this is uh, Growing Up in America here on KPFT. This is a production of Children at Risk, the voice for the children of Texas. And on our show today, uh, first off, thumbs up, thumbs down. What are we doing thumbs up, thumbs down on today? We, I guess there could be either or. Should parents reward or punish their children based on academic performance in school? Hmm. Did you ever get like, uh, when you got an A, did you ever get a little reward or anything when you were a kid? Um, I have a lot of opinions on this topic because I feel like there were different expectations for me and my siblings. So not Interest, as much. Interesting. Yeah. Right? Were you the youngest? I was in the middle. You were in the middle. Only girl. Oh, the only girl. Yeah. I could talk about birth order for a whole episode. Did yeah. a report on it. I want to stay interesting, though, so let's... uh, (laughs) We lost everyone just now. Uh, And then our date of the day today, 3.6 million. Uh, What is that? Could be small. 3.6 million Texans have the booster for COVID. That would be low, right? How many Texans are there? That would be low. So there are 8 million children, right? There's just 8 million, 7.5 million children, so... uh, Just by three... (laughs) Multiply. <laughs> so about twenty four. Uh, yeah, yeah something like we'll that. We'll get the yeah, stat. Yeah, yeah, we'll get. Uh, we're going to ask Layla, right? We need to ask Layla who is our uh, data person. Uh, then on the program, uh, Sandra Rodriguez is with us. She's the advocacy director over at Latinos for Education, talking about improving the experience for Latino children here in Houston. Uh, also, we're going to do a hip speak with BQ. So excited! Yeah, Becky Quintanilla is here to give us some uh, the latest quiz on whether you're speaking hip. <laughs> Generation Z yeah, slang. She's been catching me. Really? Yeah. Yeah, because you're pretty hip, right? I am the hip. Then uh, out of Fort Worth, we're going to be talking with Kendra Richardson. She's the founder and CEO of Funky Town Fridge in Fort Worth. Great name. Uh, she's one of the nominees for uh, uh, one of the big advocacy awards across the state. And so they're a, sort of a food insecurity group out up there in Fort mm-hmm. Worth. And then we'll be closing out the show with Kim Coffrin, who's the Senior Director of Education. We're going to be talking about the child care funding cliff. So dun, that, dun, dun. that that sounds <laughs> ominous. So uh, anyway, welcome to Growing Up in America. And uh, just a second, we're going to be doing thumbs up, thumbs down. <laughs> We are moving on to a crowd favorite segment, thumbs up, thumbs down. As mentioned before, this topic would be on should parents reward or punish their children based on academic performance. Before we start, you can head over to our Instagram at children at risk to join the conversation. Excellent. So um, this is the idea. Do you reward for those good grades? Do you punish for the bad grades? So first off, um, 
no punishment. I, I just think that the carrot is the is always no, better than no. the stick when it comes to uh, the grades. So yeah. advice for parents from experts like Care and Do- Claire <laughs> and Dr. Bob. We're saying uh, no punishment for these grades. No. However, there can be repercussions, right? I think the idea like, okay, we're going to double down on homework. I'm going to start helping you with your homework. Those things, right, which can be seen, I guess, as punishment. Like, yeah. oh, Dad's going to help me with homework. That is definitely <laughs> that is a punishment. That, punishment. <laughs> so give us your, your thoughts on this right, because opinion. it wasn't equal in your family, Claire. No, no. I have a, a lot of opinions on this because me and my brothers were all at different levels and mainly it just stemmed down to motivation for academics versus other aspects of childhood development. Um, I love school and so I self put some pressure on myself and then we, of mm. course, had our parents... Um, not pressuring, but just emphasizing the importance of uh, education and investment that it is. So I feel like once I set my own bar pretty high, it wasn't a reward. It was more so of an expectation. And so there was more disappointment when the grades went lower. Um, whereas my brothers had to have that extra push of motivation or a couple of them. We were all different. Yeah. And so it was felt like there was more reward when others reached a higher bar. But this is, tricky. A, this is a key thing for parents though, right? Is the, is understanding that there are different levels and expectations right. for every child, right? Every child is a little bit different and you have to figure out what works because, um, you know, for me, I'm first off, no stick would have ever worked. Uh, and carrot was nice, but it, but I was more of a self-motivator than any of the other care. And every yeah. child is going to be different in that regard. Yeah. I heard something interesting yesterday. It's kind of related to this, but you learn more from losing. And so thinking of the punishment, um, I challenge more of having the conversation of what you can learn and how you can grow and pivot your student and their learning. Um, I struggle with it too, because I, I tutor and help parents with a lot of children that may see a lack of motivation. And so when they're not putting in their effort and their grades are dropping, it's that fine line of what do you want to take away an outlet that might be the only sole outlet they need at that moment? Um, and if not, how can you motivate your child to care really i think that one of the key things is that parents need to show that they're interested yeah you know and it's all about an interest whether that's a carrot or a stick or whether that's just like oh man i can't believe how can we make this better and for kids to understand that their parents want them to make better grades uh and that may be going from a c to a b that might be a big celebration in a particular household or it could be a celebration of going from a b to an a right uh but parents need to show that they really care about this and that they're very interested in how yeah. children are doing in school. I love that too, because children don't care as much, I think, about the letter. Um, and so just saying, get A's, get A's, this letter, this number, it, you're going to shut them out and build um, a barrier between you. So just showing you care and showing why you think it's important and how how you can help them care and invest in their education rather than just zoning in because they see their letter they know what they got and so just reminding and showing disappointment is not it's just going to drive a wedge between you yeah and some and some kids do because there's this uh, you know if you if you're in a class where a lot of kids care about the letters you will care as a as a child right what you know what your peers care about right yeah so you know that a, a grade is low and they're already they're even they don't show it sometimes they are beating themselves up over it so don't don't kick them while they're down. Um, so yeah, no punishment. So I'm saying thumbs piece. thumbs up to showing interest. Mm-hmm. That's I not would the say question. Thumbs down to punishment. Okay, but I think thumbs up, a thumb up is okay for for a reward. Yeah, I think so too. And setting the precedent early on of you did well, um, but more than you just got an A or you got a 95. It's you articulated this well. You understood the concept well, which is very in depth. But reminding them it's the effort that really proud of well uh our team will be checking on that instagram story if you want to go ahead and vote go to instagram at children at risk and uh you could vote to see what you thumbs up or thumbs down to maybe rewarding to rewarding rewarding in general yeah (laughs) very good you're listening to growing up in america on kpft pacific radio coming up sandra rodriguez from latinos for education we'll be right back Take me on. Come on, take me on. Come on, take me on. 
All right, you're listening to Growing Up in America on KPFT. Sandra Rodriguez is with us. Sandra is with uh, Latinos for Education, where she is the advocacy director. Sandra, how are you doing today? Well, hello there. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Absolutely. Give us uh, sort of for our listening audience who may not be familiar with Latinos for Education. Sandra, give us a little bit of an idea. What's a, a brief snapshot of what you guys are doing? Sure. We are an education nonprofit. Uh, We develop, place, and connect essential Latino leaders in the education sector through our leadership development programs. That pretty much sums it up. We have three buckets of work. Uh, One is our leadership programs. The second is our advocacy work. And the third is our Ed Central online platform to connect Latino educators and leaders uh, across the nation. Sandra, Latinos for Education does wonderful work, um, and I know that you yourself have also just instituted some great programs at the nonprofit. Can we start with talking about the event that you have for families or just the impact that you're making in engaging families in Houston? Absolutely. So recently we had a culmination event with our Familias Latinas por la Educación, which is the Families in Education Fellowship. And this is our third year working with Latino parents in some of Houston's most overlooked neighborhoods to empower them to be change agents in their local schools and in the education of their children, eventually impacting all children. And so many of the parents that we work with are Spanish speakers. And so we work with them to break down language barriers that often keep parents from engaging with the school district. So together, the parents learn about how local decisions get made that impact the education of their children, how to understand the data, and what it says about how well local schools are doing, and how to engage with different processes to make their voices and priorities heard. So when I think about our family program, uh, I really think about my parents and the impact that this type of program could have made in my family and my own education. So we launched this program in 2021 as a pilot in response to the lack of Latino voices at Houston ISD school board meetings. So we were looking at October of 2020, 8% of the speakers who had signed up, which was over 150 speakers had signed up to make public comment at the school board meeting. Only 8% of the speakers were Latino. And so we believe that education solutions to our community challenges will be stronger when their voices are um, included. Hey, Sandra, I, I have a couple of questions for you. And, yeah. and, and I'm very familiar with Latinos for Education. The, the founding director in Houston, Andy Canales, came from Children yes. at Risk, right? He was a big leader with us. And then he went over to Latinos. Absolutely. And uh, what a great guy he is. And I'm wondering, when we look at uh, Latinos, children, uh, child Latinos, uh, Latino children in the state of Texas, uh we're talking about about half of our kids. We're talking about about a third of the kids in Texas are emergent bilingual, right? Spanish is their first language. Um, yet we have so few leaders. And, uh, and, and of course, Latinos tend to be one of the groups that we all wish would vote sort of much more heavily. When you think about those things, when we think about this rising majority – uh, our Latino families are our youngest families, right? So this is the this is the rising majority in our state. What what do you guys? I mean, how do you express to Latino families this need for them to sort of express the power and the growing power, uh, especially in our schools and especially across the state as it relates to family policy? Sure. So as we think about our voting power and and you know, primarily the work that I've done with families and the work that we do with our other Latino education leaders, you know, we we help them understand the power of their voice and the power of their vote, you know, and what yeah. difference that, that, that makes. And so in our with the families that we work with, many of them are not eligible to vote, not registered, right, right. cannot vote. But we talk about other ways that they can encourage people to get out and vote. And so by understanding, for example, like school board election, Mm -hmm. we dive into those elections and share, you know, the turnout uh, during those elections and why it's important, why we don't have somebody at a specific district or at a specific level 
who maybe is not from the community that they're from making decisions on their behalf. You know, it's because most times it's because of the turnout. And so we talk about how they can support in, in elections, just getting at the, the word out, encouraging their children who are now becoming of age. And so now we have a larger number of Latinos who a younger population there are eligible to vote because they are the children of the immigrant families. And also Latinos don't all vote the same. We all have different views, different sure. perspectives, depending on the countries that we come from. And so we all have different views and oftentimes the direction in or the targeting, uh, if I can say that, you know, the targeting, sure. the way that people are reaching out to the Latino community, it's not a cookie cutter, it's not a one message, it's a very diverse message for to reach out to the Latino community. And, and you know, that's and so especially that's, true in Houston, isn't it, where... Uh, Unlike Latinos in San Antonio that are like fifth and sixth generation Latinos, Latinos in Houston are different. There's a lot of Central Americans and Latinos uh, in the Latino population. People think often think it's in Texas, it's all Mexican Americans, but very different in Houston. It's it's interesting, right? Because across our country, we understand that Latinos are not a monolith, right? It's not one group, but but still in Texas, we are underrepresented in voice, aren't we? I mean, that's the thing. We are underrepresented, and that's why it is uh, essential that organizations such as Latinos for Education and other groups who are or affinity groups, too, can work with specific communities to help un- our communities understand the system, right? Yeah. Once we understand the system, the process in decision-making and how, and how their vote and their voice matters. It really yeah. matters. Uh, for I've worked... In, in public service for over 20 years. Mm. And, it, and I always hear the same. As much as I try and as much as we try to encourage people to get out and vote, we often hear the same. No one listens. People only yeah. come around during election time. My vote doesn't matter. But it's, it's programs like this that can create and help create uh, the foundation yeah. to that pathway, right? Pathway to voting and helping them understand that it does yeah. matter. Very good. Yeah, thinking on a local level, even I know we talked a lot of, together about school boards and that alone local impact. But looking at schools and looking at the work you do with school leadership in particular, how have you seen or what's the impact of Latinos for Education fellows when they go back into the schools past just the classroom? Sure, and in in you know when we launched our fellowship in in twenty twenty one, one of the top priorities for the family was language access. And we took a, a, a different approach. Uh, I say we worked with the families to help them understand that partnerships matter. Partnerships with teachers, your school director, but also school decision makers at the district level and at the board, that we must work together to elevate some of the challenges that families are facing and also bring up the solutions that families would like to see implemented. So a prime example is in 2021 families, after meeting with the superintendent and some of the board members, they shared that language access was a barrier and advocated for simultaneous interpretation. Right after we attended a board meeting and they also made public comment around that. A couple months later, the board approved simultaneous interpretation as part of their policy in the following year, implemented the service at all school board meetings. Families were not able, Spanish-speaking families weren't able to engage prior to that because the meetings were in English only. And there was, you can attend and make public comment in your language. Other than that, you can sit there and have no idea what's going on at the board meeting. And so that is one example of, of the changes that our families have made to hmm. uh, providing access to them, right? Yeah. Opening yeah. the doors to engage. That is one way uh, yeah, that we've been able to work with There's families. so much work to do in this area. And so I'm so glad, Absolutely. Sandra, that you and your team at Latinos for Education are on the case. And uh, as always, we want to continue to work with you guys. There's just... Uh, uh, so much opportunity, right? And so much need. So very good. Sandra Rodriguez is over at Latinos for Education. Sandra, thank you very much for what you're doing. 
Thank you all. Thank you so much. All righty. You're listening to Growing Up in America on KPFT with uh, Claire and Dr. Bob. Uh, coming up after the break, BQ with uh, Hip Speak with BQ, Becky Quintanilla. We'll see you in a minute. It's time for Hip Speak with BQ. This is Claire's favorite segment where people get to make fun of Dr. Bob. <laughs> so, And BQ is with us. Becky Quintanilla. La Quintanilla is here. And uh, BQ, uh, who is that on the – I don't know who you that – You don't know who that is? Was that about? Selena? That's Selena Quintanilla. Oh, Live Selena from the Astrodome. Selena oh, wow. Quintanilla. Everyone says Selena, though, but Selena. Selena Quintanilla. Selena Quintanilla. She's my cousin. She is she is really? Not. No, she's not. <laughs> she's not. Same last name, though, so yeah. might as well be, right? So you have uh, hip speak. We're doing hip speak. I know we did the one time a hip speak in Spanish. I think yes. we we canceled that segment, right? We're yes, now I only think. doing it in English. Yes. Is that right? So, I think uh, so. All right. So uh, what do you have for us? What's all the right. first one? First word is Delulu. Delulu. <laughs> yes, Delulu. Like, I hear you, Claire laughing. How do you yeah. spell that? I'm an expert in this um, one. D. <laughs> The Lulu is D-E-L-U-L-U. So is this someone who's like a little quirky, maybe? Someone is Delulu? Yes, a little bit. You're on yeah. the right track. All Delusion? Right. Like, are they delusional? <laughs> yes, exactly. You just, you, you guessed it. You guessed it. That's it. So you say Delulu is someone who's like a little fun, quirky, delusional. It's like a cutesy I'm like a little Delulu on this one. Like, of, he's in love with yeah. me. I'm Delulu. Yeah, or you could go exactly. be like, it's like a like a cuter version of saying someone's delusional. Okay. Um, like, <laughs> Paxton is delulu for pleading not guilty, you know? Like, oh, it makes okay. it sound more cutesy. Yeah, um, okay. That's a headline. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All um, right, okay, so I got that one. This will right. be the only one I get, I'm sure. So what do you have? What's next? Next one is punching. Punching. Yes. I don't know this one. <laughs> I know the action. So punching, like giving it your best shot sort of thing that someone is punching or maybe punching above their weight. Maybe. Yeah. It, okay. So yeah, that was going to be my other hint. It says comes from the term punching above their belt. Oh. What does that mean? Punching above the belt. Mm-hmm. So is it, so uh, punching above the belt. So punching above their weight. So. Uh, in over their head. In over their head means? a little bit. A, a bit like that, but it's more in the terms of dating. Okay. So uh, punching oh, means a like person- out of your league. Yes, a exactly. A little bit out of your you're league. Punching. So you're a person who's like, so talking like when to I you. got married, I was punching. Doctor Bob, you're my boss. I can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, anyone who dates I feel uh, like Claire is punching. Exactly. I feel like we could have stepped with out of your league. Why do we have to go to punching? <laughs> I think it's more of a like UK it's just term. a new thing. There's yeah, a new term. And yeah. I think there's like a popular podcast that does that. So it's being brought to the u.s because they're like who's punching mm-hmm. punching um, above their weight yeah that's the whole idea so like when you're doing boxing if you're mm-hmm. like able to you know, when they i have, do boxing they have weight classes right <laughs> so if you're punching above your weight it's you're oh. punching above your weight class right so that's where it's coming from so it's so. a positive thing yeah and yeah, it's shooting yeah, your it's, shot oh it's good yeah, it's also it's mostly thing. like um like physical um so because like the example i yeah. had is like justin verlander he's married to kate upton i mean justin verlander is like Pretty he's good. punching. He's, he's really good at, at baseball, but like if you look the at the physical attributes, he's punching. Yeah. All right, this one, I gave you a hint of this. I, I, do, I loved when uh, Justin Verlander came back to the Astros and someone had this big sign at the, Ast- at, uh, the Minute Maid Park, which was, uh, <laughs> welcome back to the Houston, uh, Kate, Kate Upton, and then in small letters, and Justin Verlander. I and if you're that. listening, Kate and Justin, we love you. Please we come do. on the show. We do. I, I, we would love to have either one of you would be yeah. welcome on the show, both Two separate different segments. Yeah. We're I'm, happy a to do it. I'm a fan of both. I'm a fan of both. And you're not punching. Kate's a mom, right? So this is a, a perfect. Well, I guess Justin's I think a she, dad too. She's so. eager to come on. Yeah, I think you so. Listening, okay. Kate, call in. BQ, can you get all over that? By the way, yeah, I will. I <laughs> have okay. their contact information on the phone right now. Okay. Um, okay. Next um, word is stink, which I gave you a big hint last week, Doctor oh, Bob. 
Um, yeah, so that's this. This is an interesting. I don't understand this, but this is like uh, the old version of my boo. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, my uh, my sweetheart, my stink. I just don't. I don't understand why you'd want to call someone your stink. But this is the thing, isn't it? Yeah, um, I think it was funny to give context. I think Dr. Bob, you had asked um, for another word of like, should I say my boo? Like, what's the new word for my boo or like stink? Um, yeah, stink. Yeah. I think it's kind of cute, you know, making it's a little Delulu. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> Maybe I am Delulu, you know, who knows? Uh, very good. And do you, uh, BQ, let me ask on the air, do you have a, a current stink? I don't have a current stink. Um, but also, I made fun of myself because um, Dr. Bob said, you said that I that Crocs are ugly. But I was like, maybe that's why I don't have a stink. Because I wear Crocs to the yeah, that, that would be Crocs one, are in. One, I can't think that's of any reason why you don't. But yeah, Crocs, Crocs would Crocs. be one of the reasons. <laughs> so very good. Okay, What's the next one? Next one is Snatched. Oh, I know this. Snatched? Someone who's snatched. like, is this like Fetch? <laughs> uh, someone who's... Uh, uh, like uh, they're off the market already because uh, well, you. That's a good guess. That's a, that is a really good guess, but it no. should be what it but means. But no, but it's not. Okay, well, what, is, what does it mean, BQ? So it's flawlessly styled means your style is fierce. So it does come from You're the LGBT um, community, and so they usually do it when for like drag shows. They'll a lot of drag queens would say you're snatched because the outfit was so like super fierce, yeah. mm-hmm. super with it, hip. Yeah, that's why yeah. we're doing hip speak. Yeah. So, so I come into the office every day, and when I see BQ and Claire and uh, the whole team, everyone's snatched. Yeah. So, like today, Claire, your outfit is snatched. I, I wouldn't agree with mm, that one today. No. Maybe, maybe yesterday. That's a little Delulu. All right, uh, and then this should be the last one. Um, it's the pick me. The what? Mm. A pick me. Pick me. Pick me. So is it like uh, the pick me is like I want to be chosen the pick me? Yes, but it's usually to describe a girl, a woman that she's it like be dressed up to be it chosen. Be a woman. Um, it's like the the girl that says she does. She only has guys who are or friends who are men. Like in middle school, she's like I just don't get along with girls. Like she's shaping her personality to fit a boy's patriarchal narrative. That's the official definition of a pick me. Yeah. Or like, so, like someone who's dressing up and just putting on makeup and just saying Who lives to be Pick picked me. by men. Oh wow! Yes, and I hope she's okay. <laughs> but that, <laughs> this is not the type of young daughter that we want to raise, right? On growing up in America, we don't want our it's young women to be fed pick-me's. by the patriarchy. Yeah, we don't uh, want yeah. them to just live. The opposite yeah. term or coin term is like a girl's girl, and then a pick me girl is a boy's girl. Well, it's just a pick me girl. That's the opposite of it. Um, yeah, it's just a hurt. A lot of times, pick me girls will say, "I'm not like other girls." Type mm, of thing. That's what I was thinking <laughs> of. That was so cringy coming out of my mouth. You but... guys are, are sounding a little judgmental. No, that's no, why no, that's, I'm that's, saying that's it's the, the patriarchy. Word. It's not her fault. It's the yeah. She was taught that way by media, <laughs> and yeah. she's gonna be okay. She's gonna be a girls' girl. This is this is uh, uh, when we talk about this Gen Z stuff. It's very interesting, right? That slang changes all the time, and I think mm-hmm. it goes back. You know, we're talking about stink. And uh, like our boo, and I think what was the word that I said? Is this word st- my bay? Right? Oh, I said people yeah, say my no. bay, and you're like, oh no, that's so I think far it was gone. Short for something. And I feel like I'm still like five years back, right? Some on some of my slang. Yeah, yeah. I do also want to point out for pick me, so I don't sound oh, yeah. well, judgmental. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> that all of these are very woman centric, so it's dividing women with all yeah. these terms. Yeah. There's not pick me boys because. Patriarchal society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Drop the This is very good. You Call guys are fantastic. It's not Delulu. Call to action. No more. And, uh, <laughs> um, you know, my daughter always tries to correct me on all of this stuff as well. And so I, I just appreciate this. This is something yeah. that uh, everyone needs to be knowing about, right? Did you know that? Not Bay? all the slang do they need to know, but it's certainly the, the idea behind Pick Me. Bay was short for before anyone else. I just learned that. Yeah. Oh, wow. Fun fact. Interesting. Anyone listening? And what's Boo short for? Nothing. Before others. <laughs> <Yeah>. Options. <laughs> Before other options. Oh, there you go. I know. That's Acronyms. very good. BQ. Yes. So, uh, Hip Speak with BQ. Uh, when are you going to be back, BQ, with some more Hip Speak? A couple weeks? Mm, probably 
probably next month. How about next that? month? Yeah. Okay, that sounds <laughs> good. She'll clear your calendar. So uh, <laughs> thanks for being on Growing Up in America. And if, for those who don't know, BQ is like one of the regular producers here at uh, Growing She's Up in America. So we're happy to have her on the show. Yeah. You're listening to Growing Up, Growing Up in America. Next up, we're going to be going to Date of the Day. The number, 3.6 million. Layla Mazzali will be with us. Uh, we'll be right back with Data of the Day. are moving on to our favorite data analyst, Layla Mazzali. Layla, are you with us? I'm with you. Perfect. I just realized Dr. Bob did not give a guess for this number, but I think you peeked ahead. Do you have a guess before? The 3.6 million? Uh, I'm going (laughs) to... I know you saw it, so let's pretend you did it. It's hard when I... Yeah, so... uh, What's your ideal stat for this number? So this is... uh, um, So I... Yeah, go ahead. You can't it's, it. it's, Layla, it's, it's hard for me to spin this when I already know the answer, right? <laughs> what is it, Layla? It's uh, it's actually the dollar amount in my bank account. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> because of your pay from children at risk. Yeah, not after you <laughs> wire that to my bank account. So. <laughs> see Beyonce. I do it for the money. I so do I it think, for the money, yeah. I, Layla, I think this is an interesting number because we're talking about population of children. And what we know is that in the state of Texas, we have about... 3.5, I, I mean, uh, 7.5 million children, but this number represents the subset. Yeah, so this number represents about half of all children in Texas, and it's the number of Latino or Latina children who live in the state of Texas um, from the census in 2020. So that number may have changed a bit. So it may have changed a bit, up. but we know that a little over half of the kids in Texas are Latino. Uh, what does that mean for us as a state, Layla? Well, it means a number of things. I mean, I think it's important to highlight that that's an ethnic categorization and not a racial categorization, meaning that the children who are captured in this group are multiracial, they're diverse. Um, And in general, the way that the nation is trending, as well as the state of Texas, um, the largest single race category on the census that grew was some other race. And then the second category, if we include all categories, was two or more races. So what we know is that the nation in Texas is diversifying at a really rapid rate. So that means that we need to make sure that all of our institutions that exist to serve children, all of our public institutions, are prepared to embrace that diversity and to meet children in their diverse needs. Last week when we had uh, uh, our friend from uh, the Kinder Institute at Rice University, she talked about the idea that a third of the children in Texas were emergent bilingual and that by far the the biggest majority of those were Latino children. When you look at the fact that over half of our kids are are calling themselves Latino, uh, that we have uh, a third of our kids are emergent bilingual, um, but it's also, when we look at adults in the state of Texas, we have the youngest adults. But as a researcher, what does that say to you in terms of challenges ahead for us in the state of Texas, Layla? Oh, well, I feel like it's two separate things. Because I think as a researcher, um, capturing changes in demography is a yeah. huge challenge for the census. And they're changing the way that they ask these types of questions in order to reflect that. Um, and then just as a person who cares deeply about the welfare of children in Texas, um, I think it just means that we need to make sure that, again, the institutions we have to serve children, in particular public education, is prepared to meet children and their parents linguistically, um, being prepared to provide basic needs depending on the income bracket of their children, um, and just making sure that kids have everything that they need to succeed. Um, and, of course, depending on where these children are coming from in terms of their class position, their linguistic background, their cultural background, we need to be prepared to meet them on all of those levels. 
I think it's also interesting, right, that we're talking about Texas right now, but all across the country, uh, we have this growing population of Latino children. And it may not be a majority like we're seeing in Texas, but it's a, it's, it's a fast-growing area. And I remember being at a lunch recently where I had a lot of uh, uh, Latina principals talking about how in Texas you could find a significant number of Latina principals, but that districts all across the country were trying to recruit those Latino principals to come to their place because there was this lack of representation amongst leadership, school leadership all across the country. And that we still talk in Texas, how we don't have enough Latino principals yet here in other States, significantly fewer than us. And Claire, you probably see this a lot. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause even in Texas, when we have a more diverse or at least a more representative um, teacher and leadership yeah. workforce, it's still not meeting what it should, um, but it's at least providing children with reflections of leadership that they can see themselves in, um, both inside and outside of their school systems when they invest in that. And I know we had our summer intern speak of, in Texas, she felt like she could find herself in leadership, but went to the East Coast, I believe, I cannot remember the exact mm, school, yeah. and didn't see not only that same representation, but the same understanding and intentionality of the backgrounds and cultures in the room. One of the things uh, this this week uh, on Friday, I'm going to be keynoting a lecture out at Rice University on um, learning loss during the pandemic. And I'll be talking about sort of the impact. One of the things I'll be talking about, the impact on lower income kids, on Latino kids, children of color, uh, because the pandemic uh, overtly influenced a lot of children in our state, uh, specifically these low income kids, uh, Layla. And I think when we talk about some of these numbers, just because you're Latino doesn't mean that you're low income, but there's a significant group of low income kids that are Latino. Yeah, that's true. Um, and I think that we need to make sure that we're prepared to meet those students, all students, exactly where they are, and make sure their basic needs are met and that they're coming to school ready to learn. Yeah, very yeah. good. Leila Mazzali is the director of the Center for Social Measurement and Evaluation at Children at Risk. Uh, Layla, thank you very much for the work that you do each and every day, and we'll see you next time here on Growing Up in America. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Coming up on Growing Up in America, we're going to take a visit to Funky Town Fridge up in Fort Worth and uh, talk with Kendra Richardson, who's the founder and CEO. We'll be right back with Funky Town Fridge. Come on, Claire. Is there anything better than Funky Town Fridge with this music? I, he's Funky killing Town. it. Rico's going to be a we, DJ. Rico soon, is the not. man. So Rico is a DJ. So <laughs> Congratulations, Rico. Uh, with us today, Kendra Richardson is the founder and CEO of Funky Town Fridge up in Fort Worth. Kendra, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are y'all? We're doing super You're well. Right. Thanks for being on the program. Uh, Kendra, give us, the, me. give us the, the quick... Uh, the brief description, what Funky Town Fridge does up in Fort Worth. So Funky Town Fridge is a community fridge in Fort Worth, and we serve food apartheid neighborhoods in Fort Worth, neighborhoods who essentially don't have access to grocery stores or healthy foods, neighborhoods in poverty. And then we place um, community fridges there as well as pantries and allow free, healthy, and whole foods to be accessible 24-7 on a give-what-you-can-take-what-you-need basis. And... um are the fridges when we when you go around Fort Worth and you find one of the Funky Town fridges? Are they usually full? Are they jam packed? For the most part, um, the community does a really good job of keeping them filled. Um, there are a lot of different community organizations and churches who go around and, and keep it filled at least like once a month. And then on top of just regular community members coming and bringing extra canned goods that they have, um, when we get monetary donations, we'll go in and try to keep it filled for the majority of the day for sure. And Kendra, I know you're going to be at this big event uh, tomorrow night in Dallas. I'm going to be going up for that, uh, the Hats Off event uh, at the Zaza in Dallas, where we're focusing on food insecurity. And, uh, Mm -hmm. but my big question, and I think I've asked you this before when I moderated a panel with you on it, is is Fort Worth known as Funky Town, or did you just like figure out the best way to call these fridges Funky Town fridges? Because uh, no, the fun name. 
It is fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, funky Town is what we call Fort Worth. Really? So that's what we. Yeah, that's what we've always called it my whole life. That was a perfect name. Always Funky Town. It's yeah. uh, you know, it just makes Fort Worth just a, that more appealing now that it's 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 name is Funky Town, right? So go on. I yeah, so I back love in the day there were a lot of um R and B artists that yeah. would come and they would do concerts in Fort Worth, and so that's from what I was read what I read and researched. Yeah, that's what kind of gave us the name. Nice. Yeah, I love this mm-hmm. idea, Kendra, and just seeing humans being good humans. Thinking, um, yeah. even at a smaller scale, I know I saw libraries or those mini libraries pop up and give and take. And I remember mm-hmm. just being so excited to see people leaving books and um, seeing it on a food level scale. It's almost a no brainer that this should be across the state of Texas. Do you have any vision or goals to expand and see this, even as a state nation? Um, it's just a really cool concept. Well, there are some throughout the state, actually throughout the world. Um, it was a concept started in New York, and I know they in New York alone there's about 90. So wow. there's mm. two in Dallas already. Um, there are a few in Denton. A bunch of college students got together, and um, I actually helped them get their fridge um, set up and in order and um, out to the public. So, um, And then there's a free pantry in Nacogdoches. Um, I think there's one in Burleson. So just people in general are coming together and finding ways that they can help their fellow neighbor, which is really important, which is what ultimately our goal was for people to just stand up and help each other. You know, I think it is great, right, that people stand up and help each other with food pantries, with food donations, and, you know, food banks play a big part of this, right? This is sort of a smaller Mm -hmm. version of what the food banks are doing. Uh, Mm -hmm. When you think about America, Kendra, and you think about the food insecurity that we have here, and here we are, certainly the most powerful nation on the earth, one of the richest countries, it's, it's almost a little sad that we have to have these fridges and these food pantries, isn't it? It is sad. <laughs> yes, it is very sad. I mean, sad. it's it's uh, it's ridiculous. But That's I guess I your hope, right, is that someday you don't have to do this stuff, that you sort of work yourself out of a job, right? Um, That's the hope, but I don't think that that'll be something I see in my <laughs> lifetime for sure. <laughs> There's a, we're talking about centuries of, of poverty and um, displacement. And so, you know, it takes a while, but... It, it's important to start somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Thinking, too, of the the donations from big restaurants and some chains, I've seen some apps and other programs pop up, although they have a payment wall behind it. But I'm trying to think of the mm-hmm. name Too Good to Go now. So any restaurant mm-hmm. um, in the past, any food they've thrown out now, they're selling at a super reduced rate. And you just go pick it up. And so I'm excited oh, to really? see, yeah, yeah, she didn't know about it. I would recommend yeah, downloading. Yeah. Um, but I'm excited to also see now that that's kind of becoming a thing, even though it's a trend and there is still a financial incentive for restaurants to do it, for that food to just go straight into funky town fridges and to have more, less food waste and more people fed. It's a dream. Yes. Let's do our uh, uh, fun finals with uh, uh, Kendra here today because we haven't had Kendra on before. So, (laughs) hey, Kendra, we're going to ask a couple of fun questions. What was your favorite food when you were a kid growing up? Oh, dang. Um, Banana pudding. My grandmother's. Good one. Like signature, like nobody can make banana pudding like my grandmother. Wow. Can you make that same grandma's banana pudding? Can you, Kendra? I cannot, but uh, we've been working on it. Wow. <laughs> we've been practicing. Awesome. The next question is, if you could swap lives with any fictional character, who would it be? Oh. Um. Dang. This is I always know. a tough question. Off so the top good. of my head, off the top of my head, I'm going to say Batman. Batman. <laughs> you kind of are Kendra, a Batman of Funky Town. You know, like every time it. I talk to you, Kendra, I love you more, right? That, that is, <laughs> Funky Town yeah, Batman. Uh, yes. And when you were a kid, Kendra, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, president. President, yeah. There's still time. You're Batman too, the president. president. You're too young right now, yes. though, right? So, because it seems like we only have really, really old people. Oh, yeah, you have to hit yeah. the 70 agree, threshold yes, in the U.S. So final question, Claire. Uh, my final question is, who motivates you? 
Um, my family. I, I don't think I can just pick one person, but um, I've I've come from a single parent household, and I have like had a lot of beautiful, honorable, phenomenal um, women who have led me and guided me, and I've been blessed with a very strong village and foundation. And so, my grandmothers and my aunts and um, my mentors, and even my little niece, just seeing strong women um, constantly living in their resilience is what keeps me motivated for sure. Very good. Awesome. All right, Kendra. Kendra's with uh, Funky Town Fridge. Kendra Richardson, she's the founder and the CEO of Funky Town Fridge up in Fort Worth. Kendra, I will see you tomorrow night at the Hotel Zaza in Dallas. And we uh, th- keep up the great work, by the way. The work that you're doing is uh, fantastic. You. All right. Talk to you next Thank time, you Kendra. Thank You're listening to KPFT, Pacifica Radio, Growing Up in America. Next up, we're going to check in on early education because the child care cliff is about to arrive. Let's hear about that. We'll be talking with Kim Coffrin uh, from Children at Risk. We'll be right back. Deep in the heart of Texas, the coyotes wail along the trail. Deep in the heart of Texas, the rabbits rush. Around the brush, deep in the heart of Texas. Can you ever get enough of that song, Claire? I can. <laughs> well, you're from Louisiana, right? So I know. I I can't get it enough of that Cajun what is, music. What is the Louisiana song? You know, like we do deep in the heart of Texas. What's the Louisiana? Um, I know there's one adjacent to the Saints winning the Super Bowl that year. It's a little when boozy. The go and then in? no, 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 it's okay. a little different. And then maybe any Zydeco. Zydeco music. Throw that in there. Yeah, yeah. Who doesn't like Zydeco? <laughs> Kim Coffrin loves Zydeco. Kim Coffrin is with us today. She's the Senior Director of Education at Children Risk. She's the head of all of our early education stuff. Kim, how are you doing today, by the way? I'm good. Are you going to ask me what the Illinois song was? What's the... Is there an oh. Illinois song? What is the Illinois song? No, there is not an Illinois song. <laughs> so excited! I'm, I'm trying to like make up one, on the, and I'm having trouble, right? So, I know. Uh, I, I would probably say the closest thing would have been the uh, uh, the Bears defensive line song back in the '80s when they oh. made when the, the one time they made the Super Bowl. Yeah, so, yeah it's um, always tied to a Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. But you know, there are a lot of good Chicago songs, though, right? I mean, oh yes, yes, yeah. yes, and bluesy type Chicago songs mm-hmm. and stuff. So yeah, uh, that'll be our next report. Uh, yeah, House of the Rising Sun. <laughs> That's New Orleans, though. There is a house in New Orleans. Yeah, yeah. thank you so much, Rika. He gave me my answer. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> right. Look at there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we need one for Illinois for Chicago. So anyway, Kim, uh, the child care funding cliff. Tell us about that. Yeah, it's here and it's real. So, you know, COVID happened, you know, the childcare industry has been in crisis for many, many years, yeah. knowing that parents can't, you know, can't afford uh, high quality care and our early child educators are making um, minimal wages. Um, COVID happened, you know, we got this influx of money to save childcare um, as a result of both Trump and the Biden's administrations, um, which was, you know, uh, the big yeah. chunk of that was the ARPA dollars and that money is um, uh, running out. Um, so September 30th, all those dollars have to be spent or sent out to all the child care providers across the state, which they have, and they have till the end of November to spend it. And so now with this cliff happening, um, we're all holding our breath to see what happens um, in the next few months. We know that during the pandemic about, and please correct me, it was about 20% of child care places yep. shut down, correct. right? We lost them. They're not yep. coming back. With this child care cliff, you know, Parents are struggling right now, and industry is struggling to get those parents back into the workplace. But what does this child care funding cliff mean in terms of more shutdowns of child care? Yeah, that's exactly what we're, we're fearful for. So, with, you know, with, with this, the funds that were infused into the industry, they were able to, one, keep their doors open to keep costs down for parents in the time of inflation um, and pay for all the, all the other things, the milk and the food and the paint supplies that all have raised in, in, tuition, er, in costs. Mm-hmm. Um, and one, pay their wages or their employees more, their educators more. And so when this, when this funding goes away and they no longer have this extra money coming in, um, how, you know, 
what's going to happen. And so what we're hearing from providers is, one, they're going to raise tuition for families, which we know is going to hurt more families, and families are going to have to make some tough choices. And two, they're going to reduce staff or reduce wages of staff. Um, So when when that happens, then we're going to, we're going to, are we going to see less kids being served because they don't have the funds to actually pay for their staff? Wow. Yeah, even thinking, because I know we talk about COVID and how it pretty much uh, launched a lot of issues, but pre-COVID, we still had the deserts and we still had issues. And so these dollars only brought us to a baseline to try to sustain a lot of centers um, that were able to stay open. But what is, I know there's a lot, but what is a call to action to the state right now um, before these dollars run out? Yeah, so I think a couple things, you know, one, it's always, you know, the state always has power and, and always has money to spend. Um, we just need to prioritize childcare. We need to pr- prioritize the working families and making sure that businesses have their staff, their employees, so they can they can do their business, not just childcare business, but all all business. Yeah. And I think local communities need to have conversations about what they can do at the city and county level. Um, we have a proposition coming up um, on on the ballot that will help. Child, it won't solve child care, but it will help child care um, to vote for uh, for Prop 2, um, and uh, that will help uh, reduce property taxes for child care centers that serve low income. Um, and then I think it's it's continuing to put pressure on the con- on Congress. You know, there are, we all are hearing about this potential government shutdown, and this, um, and we need to make sure they do have an opportunity to, in the next appropriations by the end of the month, to add money to child care and, and uh and there's an ask for Congress to, to do that. So um, pushing Congress to, to do what's right for children and families is important as well. When we look at uh, children in the state of Texas, Kim, we know that uh, about 65% of our kids uh, are coming from low-income families. You and I both know that if we were to, if there were a silver bullet to solve poverty, to sort of break the poverty cycle, it would be high-quality early education. And when we think about this funding cliff, when we think about childcare places shutting down and we think about sort of uh, uh, the degradation of high quality early education, what does that mean for those families that fall into that 65%? I mean, what about those kids? Are, are they going to sort of be part of this vicious circle of poverty or, or what can they do to get out of it? That's that's exactly right. You know, we we see you know the research over decades have yeah. told us that that, that high quality early childhood education makes the most difference for our low income families, giving them high rich language and, and environments where they can um, really develop that brain that's so vastly developing in that zero to five five space. Um, and so, yeah, that's one of the big concerns is you know our our upper middle class or middle class families they're going to they're going to figure it out they they will be able to get their kids to the libraries and to the zoos and to the museums and to do play dates um, because they've got the means to do that. Our low-income families are harder to do that with because they're busy working and busy providing their, their you know, trying to make ends meet um, and make, put food on the table and keep a roof over their heads. So, yeah, so that's, that's the population that we worry about the most. Yeah, even thinking about the impact on the workforce, um, in the opposite of not only child development and not having a space, but when a parent now has to figure out how to take care of their child, they're not able to work and it's creating this downward spiral. And in turn, what can this look like for childcare workforce if the cuts made are in workforce pay? Yeah, I mean, our childcare workforce themselves are, you know, making 11 to $12 an hour, mm-hmm. um, um, you know, full time, um, you know, by my, my College kid is, you know, making between fifteen and twenty, being a barista. Um, right. So, so you know, the, those those realities are real for families and, and real for childcare workers. Um, and so, if they're with a reduction of funding, if they're going to even reduce their their wages even lower than that, what will those childcare workers do? Where those educators will they just decide it's better for me to be a barista? Is it better for me to go work at Target um, than? And really do the work um, and and not be make a living off of working in childcare. Kim, when we um, think about sort of big solutions to uh, our childcare challenges here in the state of Texas, you know, luckily in the state of Texas we don't have a hostile state government. I mean, I think of back in the day when Greg Abbott first ran for governor. 
this is way back in the day, you know, his number one issue was high quality pre-K, right? You know, uh, yeah. that, that was a, that was a good deal. Things have changed, but he's not against, and, and no one really in the state is against high quality early education. The, but the problem is, is that they're not necessarily funding it. They're not putting their money where their mouth is. So we look to the counties and to the cities uh, to sort of provide some of these solutions. When you look around the state, uh, are there cities, are there counties that seem to be at least trying to gear up to sort of challenge some of this? And we know some of them are not doing anything, but but I think about even in Houston, Harris County is trying to get it going. I, I see things happening in Austin. Where, where are the areas, I mean, you know more about this. Where are the hot spots for you where you think, oh, these can be examples of what we can do in our state? Yeah, I think there's several. I think Houston's a great example. San Antonio, they've had pre-K for SA for oh, years yeah, with yeah. A, a sales tax um, um, uh, yeah. format. Um, Tarrant County up in Fort Worth. Um, El Paso's really um, building a coalition. You know, and, and then there's communities like Midland, Odessa, who are, are, are really trying to grapple with what do they do for child care and knowing that they have this influx of workers coming in from oil and gas. Um, and they don't have the they don't have the childcare infrastructure to support that. And so, what are communities doing to really think creatively about how do they how do they solve this for their families uh, across all sectors? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what we're going to have to turn to, right? I mean, it's going to have to be counties at this point and cities uh, to do unusual things, and and we need leaders at the local level to think outside of the box. But in general, it seems like we're not hearing a lot about this, right? We almost need to make this a much more visible issue. Yeah, I mean, we need we need we need everybody. This is you know, this is a, a, a joke saying we need everybody, but we really do need everybody. You know, um, we that zero to five space when you're a parent in that space, it's probably the hardest time of parenthood. You don't know what you're doing. They're high needs. They they take a lot of our time and of attention. Um, but yet, it's also a fleeting moment in the spectrum of parenting, and uh, so we need to make sure that those of us that have kids older um, remember what it's like and support those families, and make sure that it's an, an everybody issue. Um, you know, all of those all of those children zero to five will someday take care of us in the nursing home, um, and so how do we make sure that we're taking care of them and giving them everything they can potentially have to to live a, a high quality life and develop to their fullest potential. Very yeah, good. Awesome. And, and Kim, I know you're from Illinois, but you've spent a good part of your, your lifetime here uh, in Texas. Yes. Uh, are there states around the country that you also point to? I mean, we can never go to the state legislature and say, hey, look what this California. state is doing because no one wants to know. But are Because <laughs> certainly there are countries, right? We know there are countries that have excelled at this, but are there states that have been doing a good job? Yeah, there are states, there, and there's there's both Republican and Democratic states doing good stuff. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think there's plenty of examples around the state, uh, around the country, as well as the world, um, but around the country right here at home that are doing good things for children and families, um, and uh, from both sides of the aisle, that we can really look at and really figure out, you know, the challenge with Texas is we're big, therefore our price tag is big because we have how many children in Texas? One in ten? are in America, born in Texas, in, yeah. Right. Um, so therefore, the price tag is big. So I think that makes it a, a daunting task, but not one. You know, we're Texas. Um, and yes, I grew up in Illinois, um, but I've yeah. lived here longer than I lived there. And, uh, you know, we're Texas. We can do anything. Uh, we just have to make the commitment to really think about these problems and think about how we can salute, to be a solution together, both at the federal level, the state level, the local level. Parents, business, families, stakeholders, all yeah. of us together can really solve this for, for children and families. Kim Coffrin is the head of early education for Children at Risk and uh, one of the leaders across the state. Kim, thank you very much for the work that you do, and thanks for being on Growing Up in America today. You're welcome. You guys take care. Have a good day. Right. Thanks, take Kim. care. So uh, that brings us to the end of our uh, uh, stunning and great hour here, uh, Claire. It does. And it, it's stunning because of you, right, because thank of the work you. that you do each and every day. And we do this each, Each and every, every day, day for, children. for children. We'll see you next time on Growing Up in America. I hopped up the plane at LAX with a dream in my cardigan. Welcome to the land of fame access. Am I going to fit in? Jumped in the cab, here I am for the first time. Look to my right and I see the Hollywood sign. This is all so crazy. Everybody seems so famous My tummy's turning and I'm feeling kind of homesick Too much pressure
This is KPFT Houston, 90.1 FM and FM HD1. Hi, I'm Danica Patrick and proud aunt. Watching my nieces grow, play, and learn is amazing, but not every child gets to be carefree. One in six kids in the U.S. are hungry. One in six. That little girl sitting alone at the playground, she can't play like the other kids. She doesn't have the energy because she's hungry. School lunch will be her only meal today. It breaks my heart that this is the reality in our country, but it's something that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste. This food is then provided to families and children 